Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. How's it going, everybody? It is 3 o'clock Friday, November the 26th, 27th, 2020. Got my days all mixed up. I'm not used to having this many off in a row. Uh, but that means it's time for this, the 96th trip down the homeward path. My name is Adam, and I've got a few questions for you. First and foremost, are you a fan of Magic the Gathering? I mean, I really really hope so since you're watching a podcast or watching and or listening to a podcast about it but fail you know in spite of that uh is there something that takes precedence in your life a partner children job career all of the above i know how that i know how that feels i've got three of my own i've got uh, i've got a, a wife and three children to take care of I understand as much as anybody and in spite of all of that are you seeking as much as possible to improve at Magic the Gathering well that sounds like you I hope you are an attacking creature with less power than me because I'm going to spend the next half hour trying to mentor you but not before we that by by way of the three B's of budgeting, brewing, breaking bad habits, but we can't do that before we get a word from our sponsor. Listen, if you like magic content, if you love everything we're doing, either here on this show specifically or on the network constructedcriticism.com as all, it would behoove you to head over to puremtgo.com one of the largest depositories of magic content on the web check out all the stuff they've got there they've got content for literally everyone they've got commander focused content they've got 60 card focused content they've got 40 card focused content limited they've got a little bit of everything on that site and of course i would be remiss if i didn't mention our parent network constructedcriticism.com they're the reason i'm here they're the reason i still you know, being able to go shoulder on the same site with people like Mason and Allie and Colton and Spencer and Michaela is sort of a dream come true. I'm not going to lie. So let's help keep realizing that dream and go check out the content on their site. And if you like what we're doing enough to help me keep doing it, patreon.com slash homeward path mtg this show's always going to be free i'm not going to charge for the show but if you like what you're hearing and you want to help me keep making it head over there let me know as we dive into our first segment budget spotlight budget spotlight is where we profile a an uncommon a rare a mythic and a commander focused card 
that either doesn't get enough love, it feels like it's more powerful than maybe the, the popularity and price would, would dictate, or a card that is so overwhelmingly popular that I don't understand how it's at the price it is. So for starters, our Uncommon is going to be a fairly recent addition to the game as a whole, released in Corset 2021, and that card is Alpine Houndmaster. Alpine Houndmaster is a red and a white for a 2-2, when it enters the battlefield, you can add up to one each of Igneous Kerr or Alpine Houndmaster from your library to your hand and shuffle. Those two creatures being two mana. Uh, Igneous Kerr is a one-two that you can pay mana and give it plus two plus O till end of turn. Uh, Alpine Houndmaster being a two-two Vigilance. Neither card, none of the three cards are particularly exciting on that front. But there's more text on Alpine Houndmaster, which is to say, whenever it attacks, it gets plus X plus O, where X is the number of other attacking creatures. So, there's a little bit to unpack here, not a lot, because, I mean, it's, an un, it's a modern-day uncommon. It doesn't do a whole lot. Alpine Houndmaster is, at its floor, at its, at its worst... An acro and hoplite with an extra point of power. And that's not nothing. It's not exciting, but it you know it allows you to just kind of curve out. You play one drop into one drop into Alpine Houndmaster into three drop. You can do a lot worse than that. You know, especially if your three drops got haste, you can just be bringing a lot of pain on turn three. If your one drop is Pelt Collector or Experiment One, you can play that on one. Alpine Houndmaster on two, haste three drop, three three on turn three, crash into their face for ten, they're dead on board. You can do worse. You can do a lot worse than that. <laughs> so, the ability to search up additional threats... I originally put in the notes it's reminiscent of Stoneforge Mystic. It's not a Stoneforge Mystic. It's a Squadron Hawk. It's like Squadron Hawk. Which is to say, you can play this in a deck that is otherwise controlling, and it's not going to be embarrassing. Similar to Squadron Hawk, it wasn't bad even before they started figuring out you could play Stoneforge and Equipments alongside of it. Playing your blue-white control deck with just stone with just uh, Squadron Hawks as creatures was a viable strategy for a while. So, and it has synergy thanks to its attack trigger. Whenever this creature attacks, it gets plus X plus O till end of turn for each other attacking creature, or X, where X is the number of attacking creatures. Um, that has massive synergy with cards like Embercleave, Tamer Battle Rage, and Winota. Because you can stack your triggers so that this ability resolves last for all your Winota triggers. And you can stack up a whole bunch of Winota triggers and put a bunch of creatures into play that are tapped and attacking. And then Alpine Houndmaster will count all of them towards its plus X plus O bonus, which is really cool. You know, the ability to play, it's, it's a, the kind of card that rewards you for attacking. And historically speaking, at least, most Boros decks like to like to do that. 
And Alpine Houndmaster is going to set you back a whole quarter, coupled with the other dogs if you're playing those, and you, you should if you have room. I mean, it's going to set you back like $2 for a playset of everything. So that's not exactly a lot to spend on something that has as much upside as this card does. And it's currently standard legal in addition to being pioneer legal and being a way to pull two cards out of your deck in commander. So top to bottom, you can do a whole lot worse than Alpine Outmaster. And that brings us to our rare, which is Boros Reckoner. Boros Reckoner is three hybrid mana of either red or white. Buys you a 3-3. Uh, and for, I believe it's a, either a red or a white, a hybrid red-white, you can give it first strike until end of turn. And then... <laughs> you can give it first strike until end of turn. And if damage is dealt to Boros Reckoner, it deals that much damage to any target. So, right off the bat, the first thing that comes to mind with this card, because of its pedigree... Uh, namely, the most competitive play it saw was in the original Aristocrats deck where it played along, where it linked arms with the Sorcery Blasphemous Act to deal 13 damage to all creatures, which would then deal 13 damage to your opponent's head after you've played the game for a few turns. And it was a really cool way to just end the game. Well, you can do something similar to that in Pioneer. It just takes a lot of work, and I'm not sure it's good, but I gotta mention it because it's a thing you can do. I'm not saying it's a good thing you can do, but you can definitely do it. Which is to say, you can play Boros Reckoner on turn three. And then you can play Iron Crag Feet on turn four, get seven red mana, and get one more spell to cast for the turn, and cast Star of Extinction and deal 20 damage to each creature. 20 damage to Boros Reckoner is lethal to your opponent. 20. Again, not saying it's a good thing to do, but... When there's the possibility of an oops, I win button, we, we got to talk about it. Accidentally winning the game is pretty fun. <laughs> but even with our busted stuff, there's ways to use this card that does, that, that do a lot of different things. Sorry, my grammar is messed up today. Playing cards like Reckless Rage, four damage to your thing, two damage to mine. Well, now that turns into four damage to your thing and two damage to another one of your things. That's going to dominate a battlefield. Or even something as innocuous as, like, playing it out of the board in your, your feather deck. Where you can shock your own Reckoner turn after turn after turn in order to create a state of inevitability similar to the old Punishing Fires decks. Where you've got the ability to keep using your shock like a re renewable resource. Because you can keep pointing it at, a, at a Boros Reckoner. And it'll deal the two damage where you want it to go. But then you'll get it back. Thanks to Feather. That's super sweet. And Boros Reckoner will set you back a whole 75 cents. You can do you, when you compare the synergy with Nykthos, the synergy with Star of Extinction, and the synergy with the whole Feather deck. Like, 
Come on, that thing's a no-brainer. Just get them. You can do a lot worse than $3 a playset for a big synergy piece. Now for our mythic, we're going to talk about Nahiri the Harbinger from Shadows of Ernestrad. Well, depending on the edition, you can get different prices at different, different places. But, Nahiri the Harbinger is two red and a white, Planeswalker, legendary Planeswalker Nahiri for those keeping score of how well I'm remembering card information. Spoilers, it's not good. But Nahiri enters the battlefield with four loyalty, and she has a plus two, either... I can't remember if it's draw a card, then discard, or if it's discard a card, then draw. I can't remember what order it's in. Obviously, it has different synergies depending on that. Like, if it's if it's draw, then discard, it's better with a card like Arclight Phoenix, or... Uh, the draw two cards or that kind of stuff. If it's discard then draw, it's good with like dredge cards or things of that nature. But regardless, card selection on a red white planeswalker as a plus two, not terrible. And then you have minus three exile target artifact, enchantment, or tapped creature. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, removal on a Planeswalker. And then last but not least, I can't remember if it's minus 8 or minus 10. I want to say it's minus 8. But I could be wrong. Uh, search your library for a creature and put that creature onto the battlefield. It gains haste. Return it to your hand at the beginning of the next instep. So, first and foremost... We got to talk about the fact that this is card selection in Boros on a Planeswalker. And especially as a plus two. Like, Nahiri comes down, goes to six loyalty, and fixes your hand. It's not perfect. It's not, you know, Jace the Mind Sculptor levels. It's not Teferi Hero of Dominaria levels. But it's going to fix your hand. Even if it's just a little bit. Or loading something in the graveyard for something else you're playing. That's pretty good. It's not, a, not, it's not sexy. It's pretty good. And then, I mean, I can't stress this enough. Nahiri's minus three ability is not destroy target artifact enchantment or tapped creature. It's not return target artifact enchantment or tapped creature to its owner's hand. It's not uh, conditional upon how much those cards cost. It is exile target artifact enchantment or tapped creature. Exile removal is really good right now because it doesn't allow death triggers. It doesn't allow things to come back from the graveyard a la Urokroxa or the various things in the Oops All Spells decks. It doesn't trigger death triggers. It gets rid of indestructible things or things that can become indestructible. Like, it's just really good to be able to exile. And, you know, against the Wilderness Reclamation decks, it can even... You exile Wilderness Reclamation, they can't get it back with Tamiyo. Which is kind of a big deal. Now, last but not least, the ultimate, I mean... Obviously, it's at its most broken in modern, where you can go get Emrakul the Aeon's Torn put it into play, attack you for 15, and Annihilator 6. 
That's that's a lot. That's probably lethal. I get it. But even in Pioneer, where the best creatures we have are not nearly as good as Emrakul the Aeon's Torn, we've still got Ulamog the Seathless Hunger, where you can go get it, put it into play, attack for 10, exile their top 20 cards, and then put it back in your hand to be reused with other similar effects later. Or if you're playing a weird Naya pile where you're like a, a Naya Marvel variant for some reason and you're playing, you know, Nissa in your Marvel deck, like you should, you can just cast it. it. It gets it to your hand so you can cast it down the line. After giving you a 20-card exile trigger that may or may not actually just kill your opponent anyway. So, and it's pretty cool. And then last but not least, our command, and Nahiri, by the way, will set you back about $1.50. And this is not a card you run a play set of. You run, like, two in 60-card formats. And in Commander, you obviously only run one, and it's a really good piece for Commander, being able to go get whatever big, dumb, busted thing you need, get you its trigger, and then put it back in your hand. Like, you can do a lot worse than go get Karmic Guide, get my thing back, Put the, put the Karmic Guide back in my hand at the end of the turn. So I can do it again. That's not terrible. That's not bad at all. But last but not least, we're going to talk about a the one of the least loved companions in Zirda the Dawnbreaker. Or Dawn Waker. Zirda is one and double hybrid of red or white. So you choose red or white twice and then one of any color. Uh, buys you a 3-3, I believe it could be a 2-2. I don't remember for sure. Either way, buys you this creature. Uh, the companion condition, in other words, in order for this card to be revealed from outside the game as your companion and you'd be able to move it from there to your hand for three mana at sorcery speed, every card in your deck has to have an activated ability. Now, bear in mind that doesn't say an activated ability that isn't a mana ability. So your lands count, and any creatures whose sole purpose is to tap for mana count. So it's a condition that's interesting. It's an interesting condition, as opposed to something like Luris, where you're if you're wanting to play Luris in your deck, you're probably not making a lot of concessions. Or Yorian, where if you're wanting to play Yorian in your deck, you just get to play more cards in your deck. Or, uh, you know, Lutri, which is banned in Commander because the condition for Companion was literally free. Regardless, the, the idea of building a Boros deck with all activated abilities is really interesting. But whether you're playing this as a Companion or as a Commander, your deck is going to be the most interesting Boros deck at the table. Probably the only one, too, but, you know, definitely the most interesting. Because training grounds on a commander is super, super sweet. Uh, and if you have found a way to bust it, to make it make it gross, to kill a table because you're playing Zirda, hats off. I mean, I'm not wearing one right now, but hats off. More power to you. I am very proud of you. And Zirda will set you back a grand total of the same price as Boros Reckoner, 75 cents. So you need one 
It's Commander. You need one copy of this card. You can do a whole lot worse than this for 75 cents. But that brings us to our second segment, our Brew of the Week. And Brew of the Week, we are talking about either a deck that is really cheap to build or a deck that just doesn't get a lot of love, doesn't get, isn't very popular, so the price is comparatively low to something similarly powerful. And this week we're going to be talking about Boros Feather for Pioneer, as opposed to Historic or other such formats. And I kind of did that, I kind of gave the tease for that at the beginning, right? The idea of playing Feather plus spells that target plus creatures that want to be targeted, it's not a new one. But what is a little bit new is the school of thought about how to build the deck. The core is really simple. It's broken up into really three pieces, three parts. You've got your pressure package, which are the creatures that want to be targeted or want to see you cast the spells in order to grow. Those are Favorite Hoplite, 10th District Legionnaire, and uh, Favorite Hoplite, 10th District Legionnaire, Monastery Swift Spear, Seder Hoplite, you know. These creatures that get bigger either when you cast a spell that targets them or you cast a non-creature spell via prowess. Whatever the case, those are the creatures you're using early in the game to apply pressure to your opponent's face and give them something they are worried about answering. Because without them being incentivized to kill things, a good chunk of the rest of your deck doesn't work right. The second tier are your 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 payoff cards, your your long game cards. Uh, Feather the Redeemed being able to exile any instant or sorcery you cast that targets one of your creatures and put it back into your hand at the beginning of the next end step is a big game. Young Pyromancer being able to take every non, every instant or sorcery you cast and put another body on the table, keep applying more pressure or provide effective blockers with which to race. That's really effective. It's really good. And Dreadhorde Arcanist being able to recycle the spells you cast early in the game before you got Feather online. Not only out of your graveyard, but out of your graveyard and back to hand thanks to Feather. It's really effective. It's really good. And what spells are we trying to cast? Well, you've got Defiant Strike, a one mana plus one plus O draw card. With, a, with an active feather or even just courtesy of young of uh, Dreadlord Arcanist chipping in for its one, it's extra points of power. It's extra cards. Even if you're not doing it every turn, a, an extra card here or there can be the difference between a win or a loss. You've got God's Willing to protect your creatures. You've got Gird for Battle to make them bigger. You've got Fight as One to give them indestructible and plus one, plus one. You've got Reckless Rage to kill one of theirs that you shouldn't be able to for one mana. And in particular, once you get rolling, Reckless Rage doesn't actually kill any of your creatures. Because you Reckless Rage targeting their thing and your thing, and your thing either gets bigger in response to Reckless Rage dealing two damage to it, or if it's favorite hoplite, it just prevents the damage to it. Or it's just already big enough to live through it. So it's just a really, really perfect fit kind of card for that deck. 
I was a little disappointed we only got it in standard for the little bit of time we did. It was really sweet. Uh, customization options, you can go leaner on the mana curve to the point where you cut the feather herself in order to play Luris as companion and just try to bank on Dreadhorde Arcanist and Young Pyromancer as your, your card advantage payoffs and just look to apply as much pressure as possible. That's a line you can take. It's not a bad one. You can go bigger on the curve and play cards like Boros Reckoner, Legion Warboss, or Goblin Rabblemaster, and use your protection spells and play more like a curve-out deck that just has a way to interact with your opponent's interaction. That's another line. It's not bad. And then for sideboard, you've got access to even more tools because you're in, a, you're in white. You've got access to cards like Rest in Peace, uh, Leyline of Sanctity, uh, Dronath Magistrate, as a weakness, though, this deck is going to be soft to the following two things. It's going to be soft to unfair decks like Oops All Spells, like Lotus Breach combo, and Lotus Field combo, um, like Reclamation, because it's going to struggle to do anything they care about. Like, if you're not killing them, they don't care what you're doing. Because you don't have a lot of ways to make them play fair. And then you're going to struggle against control decks because, by and large, you're playing right into them by inviting card disadvantage by targeting your creatures with spells. So with that out of the way, we dive into our main segment. We're, talk we're profiling the Boros Legion, which is funny because of who they are. Who are the Boros Legion? They were, they were released in the original Ravnica City of Guilds, given their official name for the first time. A combination of red and white mana in October 2005. And they've made reappearances on every set based, or every block based in Ravnica since. They are a hyper-militarized police force tasked with maintaining law and order on Ravnica. Their original guild master was the Archangel Razia, who has since been supplanted either. I can't remember if Razia died or just left. Genuinely don't remember. But has they've since been replaced by Aurelia, the war leader. You know, Razia was about dealing, you know, taking care of the situation from afar. Aurelia is all about being right up in it and beating down with them. Couldn't be more different. It's the home guild of Agris Koss, the protagonist in all three of the original Ravnica block novels. He's an old, retired beat cop that you actually care about when you read the novels. It's actually kind of, kind of sad. But they're typically used as tribal and mechanic vehicles in non-Ravnica settings. In other words... Typically speaking, when you see an actual Boros-colored card, when it's both colors, it's probably in the set to push a theme. If you're not on Ravnica, it is in the set to push a mechanic or a synergy. Really good examples, but we'll get to those in a minute. Strengths of Boros, red and white. When you're playing them together, Creatures, first and foremost, particularly at the low end of the curve, you get a lot of really good 
like fairly efficient creatures. You're really good at going wide on the board, applying a lot of pressure, and thanks to white mana, you can make them bigger. You can you can pump all of your creatures at once. Similar to Selesnia, but a little bit less dedicated to that theory. And similar to Orzov, burn spells and white removal go hand in hand really well because burn spells are more efficient, but a little more narrow as for what they can take out, while the white removal spells are typically more expensive, but can deal with more things. Exactly like Orzov. And there's a lot of emphasis on unique mechanics. Like, you don't, like, Boros outside of its Ravnican identity doesn't really have one. Weaknesses, it's typically very fair. Boros decks don't tend to be able to do anything that feels like cheating. With the obvious exception of Winota. Similar to Orzov. You're typically dependent on synergies of some kind to push you ahead. Less so than Orzov because your your central themes, your central identities tend to be very aggressive and attack focused. So there's a lot of different synergies you can push within the same shell that all are, spot, are trying to snowball you towards a quick victory as opposed to Orzov, which tends to want to play an engine game and grind them out. And unlike Orzov, you don't have the backup plan of disruption to pick you back up when you fall behind. You can't keep your opponent from doing something more powerful than you. So from a mechanical identity standpoint, what does Boros bring to the kitchen table? Well, for starters, their printed mechanics, their official watermarked Ravnican mechanics were Radiance in Ravnica City of Guilds. Radiance is on targeted spells or abilities. And what it would do is it would target, it would declare a single target, target creature, and each other creature that shares a color with it get this. Uh, the, The one I played the most the one that the one card with radiance that had the largest pedigree was Flamekin Zealot, which would give a target creature and each other creature with the same color plus one plus one in haste. Well, Flamekin Zealot, as the target of Dread Return after you uh, sacrifice three Narcomebas with three Bridge from Belows in the graveyard, that puts nine two two zombies on the battlefield. You bring back Flamekin Zealot. Everybody gets plus one plus one in haste. Attack you for lethal. That's the card with the most competitive pedigree that had Radiance. The second mechanic was Battalion from Return to Ravnica. Uh, Their abilities that triggered when the creature and at least two others attacked. In other words, it's a mechanic that rewards you for attacking. So it's the most Boros of Boros mechanics ever. Because it wants you to attack and it wants you to attack a lot. And last but not least, most recently they got Mentor from Guilds of Ravnica. Mentor is one of the coolest mechanics that came out of the newest Ravnica sets in the sense that it's it's unique, it asks questions of you in deck building, and it makes you make decisions. And I like that slant. 
A creature with mentor when a when a creature with mentor attacks, you can target another attacking creature you control with less power and put a plus one plus one counter on it. Which is really good. It's thoroughly reasonable. Being able to get an extra point of power in the middle of combat is not nothing. As far as common tropes and themes, they are red and white creatures and particular Boros creatures really, really seem to have the market cornered on things like first and double strike. They're also really good about preventing the opponent from blocking. Pacifism affects too, the idea of you know, not attacking or blocking. But even just the idea of preventing blocking is a big deal to Boros. Like you, can, you get to continue to apply pressure because your opponent can't stop it. <sighs> the idea of <clears throat> creatures building upon each other comes over from Selesnia. There's a little bit of cross synergy there. You you play a lot of creatures that build upon each other with a bunch of different abilities. You have interaction with damage, and this is something that Boros has the market cornered on. That's not to say you only prevent damage or you only uh, redirect damage. No, it's the idea that you can you are preventing damage. You are turning damage to your things into other resources of some sort. You are uh, interacting with the damage from a trampling attacker. You know, a card like Deflecting Palm is uniquely Boros. Self-preservation effects. The idea that my stuff is more important than your stuff. I need to protect mine and then yours won't matter. Heroic, printed or not. The idea of targeting my stuff to give my stuff more abilities. Make it bigger. Tribal mechanical synergy unique to the plane. Like actual tribal effects or even like weird artifact mechanics like vehicles or equipments or allies or that kind of thing. It's a common trope you see with Boros. And, I mean, to a lesser extent, there's a somewhat of a focus on artifacts and enchantments. Or artifacts and equipments. As far as typical archetypes for Boros, you've got the, the tried and true, the only one with a real competitive pedigree. Year in, year out, format in, format out, it doesn't seem to matter. And that is... Either white aggro splash red or red deck wind splash white. The idea that you are a, a dedicated classic aggro deck building just the tiniest little bit of some sort of synergy into your deck to make all your cards better. You, along that note, you've got buy all the way in synergy aggro, whether it's heroic, vehicles, metalcraft, battalion exploiting the mechanic that you've got at your disposal, the resource that they gave you at your disposal to its absolute limit. You've got big aggro, like the, the Boros Angels deck or the Path of Metal deck, wherein you're trying to just play the best thing you can turn after turn after turn. And then, last but not least, you've got the value mid-range family that gave us Boros Monarch in Pauper which ironically has started to adopt other colors or has started to become more of a linear aggro shell. 
over there. It's, it's Boros. What do you want from me? As far as an overview, a general synopsis on what Boros is to the the aspiring competitive Magic player, it's mostly got a lackluster competitive pedigree. Unless it's got really good cards available, unless they print specifically really good cards in those colors for the purposes of building a specific deck, it tends to be kind of lackluster. It's not very exciting. It is, however, a commander goldmine because there's a lot of different ways to build Boros and commander. You can build... Uh, go wide aggro, go tall aggro, Voltron, Spellslinger, uh, land destruction, weird synergy pieces that give you access to storm, like all kinds of nonsense that's available. So that's kind of the overview, the general synopsis, the basic approach of Boros. I hope it was good. I hope you enjoyed it because that's all I got for this week. I want to thank you again for listening. You can find me, got questions, comments, concerns, leave them down below or on Twitter at HomewardPathMTG on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain and join the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders. You can, as one of the benefits of patronage, you get access to the Patreon Pathfinders Discord where we talk about episode topics, share deck lists. And if you're a patron of $3 or more, your deck list gets push to the front of the line for brew of the week if you're a patron of five dollars or more you get your own episode written specifically about the tar pick you want uh and that's all i've got uh again save your dad jokes we have episode 100 coming up real fast uh spoilers we're going to record that the week of new year Provided nothing else has come up, nothing is is more pressing. The plan is to record episode 100, the week of New Year's. I'm going to have a very special guest. So save your dad jokes for episode 100. I'm going to be putting a comment thread on Twitter for dad jokes. I'm going to be putting one in the Facebook group for dad jokes. And I'm going to be putting one in the comment section of episode 99 here on YouTube for episode nine for episode 100 for dad jokes that's all i want there because we need to overload this special guest with dad jokes at the end of it because it's rare that we get to hear somebody's laugh other than mine for these jokes so with that out of the way that's going to wrap us up for this week we'll be back next week to talk about the is it league Finally, something that doesn't feel like it has a real-world allegory. (laughs) But remember, we've had a lot going on. Holidays are already a rough time of the year for a lot of people. So when dealing with people, remember to be kind. Remember, never be cruel. Never be cowardly. Remember that hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. So go forth, laugh hard, attack with a bunch of creatures, and be kind. We'll catch you next week. Be safe, everybody.